the funny thing about um, the funny thing about quitting is that um, quitting has gotten a bad rap. You know, uh, have you ever heard the statement, "Quitting is for losers," or "Quitters never win." You know, I'm sure you guys could come up with some other ones that you heard as a kid that somebody threw at you about quitting. Quitting has gotten a really bad rap. For some reason, we associate quitting with something negative, something bad, something harmful, a sign of weakness or uh, something wrong with you. Like if you quit, there's something wrong with you. But, uh, and I I suppose there are times where quitting isn't maybe the best choice in that particular situation. But sometimes quitting is exactly the right choice. Like, you know, quitting going seeing movies about spaceships that go to hell. That's probably an okay, that might be considered a wise choice in, uh, in life, a wise thing to quit. But sometimes quitting is actually a sign of wisdom and strength and health, a really healthy decision for you to choose um, to quit. So this new series that we're starting today called Quitting is, uh, it's about that kind of quitting. It's about quitting the things in our lives that are maybe harming us, things that are holding us back from being healthy emotionally and uh, spiritually. Quitting as an act of wisdom, quitting as an act of health and strength as, uh, as humans. So the series, that we're, uh, this series that we're getting into is based on a book called I Quit. I don't know if there's a picture of it or not, but um, it's a, based on a book called I Quit by Jerry Scazzaro. This book, I found this book um, like nine years ago. I think it was published nine or so years ago. I found it shortly after, um, uh, after it was published and read it. And at the time, the tagline for this book is stop pretending everything is fine and change your life. And I was like, ooh, I need to do that. I need to stop pretending that everything is fine and change my life. I got some stuff to figure out. And uh, this book is really one of the more relevant and practical books that I've read in, in my life. There's a lot of really valuable um, things that it wrestles with that we need to quit as an act of wisdom and strength and that sort of thing. So the sad thing, uh, unfortunate thing about this um, this book is when it first came out, 2010, I think, it didn't sell quite as quickly as they thought that it could uh, or quite as well as they thought that it could. And so they rebranded it and they repackaged it. And uh, I'm kind of upset about this. So if I vent occasionally about this, you'll understand why. So they repackaged the book in 2014 and the new, uh, the new version, it's, it is like the same page numbers on the inside. It's almost completely identical. The new book is called The Emotionally Healthy Woman, which doesn't sound like I quit <laughs> at all. In fact, you might read that and think, somebody thinks that women need to deal with these issues maybe more than men do. And I can attest to you right now, I'm going to use a phrase that my children would use back in the day. That's a, that's a load of yucky pooey. That's, that is not true. This is not stuff for women. <laughs> you appreciate that, right, Claire? Um, this is not a book for women. It says emotionally healthy woman, but I want you to, to hear what I'm saying. Disregard the name of this book, okay? I, the, the, it's a woman written by a woman, Jerry. She's an amazing woman. She's got an incredible story, and she shares that story. It's kind of her journey through things that, she, how she recognized these different things and realized she needed to quit them in her life. But we, guys, we need to, we need this stuff. And we need to be learning from women too. So, um, so disregard, we're going to think of this as emotionally healthy men and women or something. I don't know. We're just, I quit. So I have, um, 
a number of copies of the Emotionally Healthy Woman book in English and in Spanish. Um, these books are real hard to come by, and so I have a bunch of used ones coming from all different random places, eBay and stuff like that. So by next week, I should have uh, a handful of these. So if you're interested in either of these books, um, I've got some that you can, uh, that you can take. So uh, really, really fantastic stuff that um, I think we all need to, uh, to spend time on. And so that's kind of the basis for our, um, our series, our journey through this series. So let me, uh, I want to start off by reading a little bit of what Jerry writes about quitting uh, towards the beginning in the intro of, um, of these books. So this is coming from um, it's page 15, if you get into this. But um, uh, So this is Jerry talking about quitting. The kind of quitting I'm talking about isn't about weakness or giving up in despair. It's about strength and choosing to live in the truth. This requires the death of illusions. It means ceasing to pretend that everything is fine when it's not fine. Perpetuating illusions is a universal problem in marriages, in families, in friendships, and at work. Tragically, pretending everything is fine when it's not also happens at church, the very place where truth and love are meant to shine most brightly. Biblical quitting goes hand in hand with choosing. When we quit those things that are damaging to our souls and the souls of others, we are freed up to choose other ways of being and relating that are rooted in love and lead to life. We're freed up to choose other ways that are rooted in love and lead to life. <clears throat> so um, this book uh, wrestles with a lot of different topics, and the first one that we're going to be getting into um, is this idea of quitting, uh, quit being afraid of what others think. Quit being afraid of what uh, others think. So when we quit, we're making choices. Quitting is choosing, Jerry says. And when we quit, we choose. And sometimes the wisest choice is to quit. The wisest thing for us to do is quit functioning in certain ways. Uh, and we're not talking about things like, um, like smoking or eating bad things or like the way we talk or whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about s stuff that's much, much deeper in the ways that we, uh, that we function. Things like uh, worrying about what other people think and making decisions out of that space or lying about our thoughts or our feelings. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, everything's good. These lies that slip out of us because we're afraid of maybe speaking the truth uh, about ourselves and to others. Over-functioning, dying, dying to the wrong things in, uh, in life. Living somebody else's life based on somebody else's expectations instead of living your own life uh, and what it means for you to be truly you. So our topic, quit being afraid of what others think, uh, is what we're going to focus on for the next little bit today. And I've got an activity at the end for us to do to kind of uh, personalize this a little bit, get into it. So I wonder for you, uh, has it ever crossed your mind what other people think of you? Yeah, that's a good response. Thanks. I was hoping that somebody would scoff at me. So, you know, your family or maybe your parents, the decisions that you make about education or whatever in your life, um, your friends, the people that you share your life with, your roommates, people that you work with, your boss. How does my boss? Well, if I do this or I do that, what is my boss going to think? We're constantly in this place of thinking about what 
other people might think about what I do or if I chose this path or if I chose that or if I said this or if I said that. We just kind of live in that space. And this stuff, it, um, it, starts, it starts really young. So uh, I, I talked to Emma about this just to refresh our memory of a childhood experience that, uh, that Emma had that I, was, I got to be a part of. Um, so Emma was, uh, she was about six years old. Uh, the school she went to had a chess club. And, uh, and I grew up playing chess, and so Emma and I would play chess when she was younger. And, and so Emma decided when she was about six um, that she would join the chess club. And I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, chess club. That sounds, that sounds fun. So she'd been in this chess club for, I don't know, months. I don't know how long. And uh, she and I want to spend a little bit of time together. And so we go to this cafe near where we live, and uh, we get some special drinks. I think it was a chai latte, maybe something like that that she got. And uh, we go to a table, and we get our chess set out, and we start playing chess. And so we've been playing chess for, um, for a few moments. And, uh, and then Emma accidentally knocks her drink, uh, her special drink, this like, you know, this was, a, this was a good moment to go out with dad and get a chai latte or whatever. She knocks it off, hits the floor, spills all over everywhere. And she just starts sobbing, like, blah, you're like real, like something's up. Like something's real serious here. She is just like sobbing, and I'm, I, now, I have three daughters by this time, so I'm accustomed to these sort of extreme emotional moments. <laughs> Sometimes they happen in public. You don't get to decide that as a dad. And so um, this is happening. I'm pretty sure I was thinking, oh my gosh, what is everybody thinking of me as, my da as a dad while my daughter's sitting here sobbing? And so Emma's crying. And then after, uh, after a moment, she's like, you know, whatever. And <laughs> letting it out, as we do. And she says, um, I don't even like chess. Oh and I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. You, you spilled a chai latte. What? I don't even like chess. And I was like, what do you mean? You don't like chess. I thought you joined the chess club. I thought you liked chess. Why would you join the chess club if you didn't like chess? And she, like, eventually is able to work, like, well, I, I thought you would like it if I joined chess. I thought maybe you'd be proud of me or that you would think more highly of me if I was in the chess club. At which point, I started sobbing in public <laughs> and had a, I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you worry about what I thought and that the reason that you would join the chess club? So, you know, that's kind of a little kid example of this, but it's not really a little kid example. This is the way we roll. We're just constantly in this place of thinking about what other people think, uh, of our choices and what we say, and we're just so aware of what the crowd around us might think um, of what we, the choices that we make. And so we're thinking about other people all the time and the way we dress and the way we talk and the music we listen to and the shows we watch and the kind of job we have or educational path we chose or how much money we think other people think I should be making at this stage in my life or how successful I should be in my job and my career, what I should have accomplished by this point, all, on and on the list goes of all of these things that we think maybe other people think about us, and we start to shape and shift and make our lives about moving through other people's expectations, and we begin to change ourselves, um, even from young ages, uh, into what other people might think of us. Wendy and I, this past Monday, um, we, uh, we had a slow Monday. We were sitting around the house talking, and we, we got into this, like, I don't know, it felt like four hours. I don't know how long it was, but long conversation, intense. There were lots of moments of crying, some raised voices. So, you know, we're hurting each other, just this long conversation. And by the end, it was very good and positive, but we realized a lot of what we were wrestling with was what other people 
think I'm sitting here like studying this stuff and trying to figure out like how do we process this and then I have this crazy day with my wife of painful conversation and it was largely related to what other people think like not choices that I know I should be making but what other people might think of me and my life or our family or my children or whatever we just kind of live in this space I think so to quit is to choose. Will I continue to make choices on the basis of what other people think or might think about me? Or will I choose to quit being afraid of what other people might think of me? Will my sense of okayness, being okay with who I am, be rooted in other people's expectations and what they think of me? Or will it be rooted in something much deeper and much um, more important? So uh, as I was wrestling with all this stuff for the last several weeks, I was trying to come up with different ways for us to process through this and in uh, some ways to visualize. And so I was, as I was journaling over the last couple weeks, I came up with something that, um, that helped me kind of visualize and get, um, get my, my mind around this. So I'm going to draw for you. But here's the good news. I'm no longer afraid of what you guys think of my drawing skills. <laughs> So I'm free right now. I get to just draw whatever I want up here, and I'm just, you know, so. Okay, I'm going to try to draw. This never goes well, trying to draw with a microphone in my hand. Okay, so I want you to try to visualize a little bit uh, and to sort of think of yourself as I'm drawing. I'm drawing here. Yeah, okay. Um, so this is going to be uh, a beautiful artistic rendition of um, a crowd or a blob of squiggles. So, um, so you know, kind of you know, think nice thoughts. So this, wait for it, wait for it. This is a crowd. That's a crowd right there. So it's good, yeah? Yeah, I feel good about myself. Doesn't matter what you think. Um, okay, so this is a crowd, and, uh, and the reality is that we all live in crowds. We all live in contexts. So um, maybe this context is your family, so maybe this is kind of your family. Maybe it's your workplace or the team that you work on, the people uh, that are around you when you're working. Maybe it's um, friends, your friend groups. Uh, you could think of this maybe as um, your, all of your social media connections, sort of social reality that's sort of swirling around you. Uh, there's lots of different contexts that we find, us, find ourselves in. And, uh, or you can kind of think of that as just all the sum of all of those things, all these different social connections that, um, that you have, these crowds that you exist in. Even if you're not a crowd person, like you like to really engage, you still exist inside of these different sorts of environments and different sort of crowds. And, uh, and we're kind of right like smack dab in the middle. So that's you. You're beautiful, really. Um, so we all live inside of these different contexts as we, um, as we roll through life, surrounded by all of these different people and these different particular crowds that we're in. Uh, and we know from basic human psychology and basic just sort of crowd psychology that there, there's something that makes a crowd a crowd. There are these particular things that make a crowd like stick together. There are things that they share in common. So maybe we all look alike, or we all talk alike, or we all come from the same family, or we all live in the same neighborhood, or uh, we all work at the same place. There are these commonalities that create, that allow that group to be possible. And we all consciously, and oftentimes even subconsciously, are aware of all of those different kind of connections that create this group that we're, that we're a part of. 
Uh, if you were to take away those distinct, different, those unique things that are distinct about this group of people, then that, that group would just fall apart. And we've experienced that in lots of different ways, where the things that held us together that were the same about us aren't the same anymore. We all don't go to college at the same place anymore because we graduated. So now we're not a group anymore. We all go our different ways. So we know this is kind of how all of these crowds that we're in um, work. This is just normal sort of crowd psychology and human psychology. Um, so a good example of this uh, is skinny jeans. Give you a little fashion, Larry on fashion. So skinny <laughs> jeans. So um, for mo most of my life, I wore baggy jeans, you know, baggy pants, sometimes really baggy pants. And uh, style started to change over time. I had kids, they started looking at me funny. You know, for various reasons, I started to like, trim down, my pants got more and more slim over time. Uh, and uh, you know, that was just kind of how things progressed over time. I have weird legs, so I can't actually fit inside of skinny jeans. They just don't work quite right because of the odd shape of my legs. Um, or maybe I care so much about what other people think, and I don't wear skinny jeans because what would people think if I wore it? My legs look funny, you know. So we, silly example, but you guys all could think of fashion moments, hair moments, whatever, where you were like, oh my God, I don't think I can go to work today. Like, I gotta stay home because this is not working. You're like, just aware, we're aware in so many different ways of what it looks like to fit inside of these different groups that we live inside of. It's just in us, it's so deeply in, uh, embedded in us. We all live with these varying degrees of, of, you think of it as like social conformity, the way we conform, trying to fit in comfortably in these different environments that we're in, with family, with work, with school and neighbors and politics and faith and all of these different things. We're just so aware of what um, people think. It's how we work. Being isolated as a human uh, is dangerous. It's dangerous to be outside of all groups whatsoever. And so we got to figure out, like, how do we fit in these? And sometimes the ways we adapt to a group or the ways we, uh, we conform are okay. Wearing skinny jeans or not wearing skinny jeans is not that big of a deal. But some things are very harmful for us. There's ways in which we adapt to these different environments that aren't neutral or okay. They actually end up doing harm to our, uh, to our souls. So maybe you get... Um, a job where everybody in this particular workplace works 70 hours a week. That's the vibe, that's the culture, that's the environment you're in. And so you find yourself starting to work longer and longer hours and spending less and less time with your family and your friends. How many times has that story been lived out in human existence, even in our own lives? Um, maybe you have family or friends that aren't really into God or, th or even think very negatively about God. And you find yourself trying to figure out, like, how do I speak? How do I talk? What do I share? I, I don't think I can talk about my faith. I don't think I can share stories about my Christian friends or my church. Uh, and so we, we find ourselves trying to figure out how do we navigate this. Um, maybe you, uh, you're in a situation where you just don't have a lot of extra funds, a lot of extra money. But all the people, your friends, the people you work with, they go out and they eat at expensive restaurants after work or they do these different things that cost a lot of money and you really want to fit in so you find yourself kind of moving towards that and changing maybe some values or some really important things for you because you want to fit. You want to be connected in this social sort of settings that we um, find ourselves in. Drinking and addiction, that sort of stuff comes into play where 
you know, uh, people around me are drinking a lot and I struggle with addiction. I don't think I can be in that environment. Well, I think I'll go. Like that, this story is repeated in so many different ways and so much of it comes down to this desire for other people to think a certain way about us and to react a certain way to the decisions that we make and the way that we live our lives. We want to fit in. We want to make friends. We want to be liked and respected and cared for. And we're constantly living with that stuff on our minds. Um, years ago, this, is, this was okay because I love my boss and he was very kind through this process. But um, this years ago, the company that I worked for, my boss sat me down and they had wanted me to start doing sales in this particular company. And so we we're talking about what that would look like. And I'm not really a sales guy, but they wanted me to learn that side of the business. And so, um, so I was beginning that process. And he sat me down and he was like, here's the deal. Um, your dress clothes, they're not nice enough for the people that you're going to be meeting with and working with. And so you need to work on your, like the level of your style or whatever, whatever he was saying. It was very loving. He actually gave me money to help me do that or whatever. But it was this, like, you're going to be entering into this new sort of crowd. You're going to be working with these different sorts of people and you don't fit the way you look. That's, they're never going to buy anything from you. Sorry, dude, because you just don't look the right way. And so I had to figure out, what do I do with that? Like, how do I adapt and what way is okay and what way isn't okay and fits with my values or violates my values. So we're all in these kind of moments where we experience this. Uh, we fear what other people think or what they might think of us based on choices that we make. And we shift and we change ourselves in so many different ways in order to deal with this fear of what other people might think. And uh, just in case you wondered, um, scripture is full of this stuff. Uh, if you start to really spend time raising your awareness of this kind of idea of this sort of fear that we live with of what other people think, uh, Scripture is full of this. From the earliest days of human history all the way through Jesus' life, through the early years of the church, um, stories and characters in Scripture, Abraham, Jacob, Reuben, Joseph, Aaron, Daniel, King David, Jesus was dealt with this over and over again, over and over through scripture, we see examples of people who were faced with what, am I, what people think of them. And sometimes they made horrible decisions, murder or other terrible things, or just small little changes in themselves that shifted who they were and their values and their character. And other times they were victorious and they didn't give in to those, uh, those situations. Peter um, was a very close friend of Jesus, one of the, one of the original um, really sort of pillar apostles. Uh, in the few hours before Jesus died, before he was murdered, Peter, Jesus, one of his closest friends, denied even knowing who Jesus was. I have no idea who that guy is. Multiple times because he was afraid of what people would think of him if they found out that he was with Jesus. Years later, uh, Jesus is very patient with us, and Peter's a great example of this. So Jesus restores, forgives, and restores Peter because of that denial. Um, years later, Peter is uh, one of the prominent leaders in the first church in Jerusalem. And there is an account of Peter functioning as a racist. He chooses to not associate with an ethnic group of people because of what another ethnic group of people would think. He was in relationship with them, and then he withdrew. He wouldn't eat with them. He wouldn't associate with them because of their ethnicity, because of what someone, it says he feared what these people thought of him. Those are straight up the words that are used. He was afraid of what they thought if he would associate with these people. 
We live with this stuff all the time. It isn't outside of the church. It is in humans everywhere we go in the ways that we walk through life and the things that we experience. It's part of the human condition, part of the struggle. And we change our shape, our look, our words, our actions. All of these things shift in us in order to fit, in order to avoid conflict, in order to stay safe. Uh, we do it for so many in so many different situations. So in a um, the tense conversation that Jesus was having uh, with Peter, actually, uh, Jesus makes a point I want to to kind of end with here. Uh, that has always struck me as like, oh, oh, that sounds deep. I'm not sure I get it entirely. And so, like, regularly find myself coming back to it and trying to process maybe what Jesus was saying. But it's fascinating that it comes immediately after. Uh, a pretty serious conflict between Jesus and Peter. So Jesus says something, and Peter does not agree with Jesus. He's not happy about what Jesus says. He thinks Jesus is wrong, and it says Peter rebuked Jesus. Like, that's not a gentle word, like, hey, man, I'm not so sure. Let's talk about this. He, like, got in his face and was like, you're wrong. And you see this, like, ooh, like, who would do that now looking back? But Peter, they're friends. Jesus said something. No, man, you're wrong. And he gets in his face. And you see this conflict. And they kind of work through. There's some, some talking between Peter and, uh, and Jesus. And then um, Jesus kind of addresses his friends that are gathered around him. And keep in mind, this is happening um, in the days, uh, the period of time leading up to Jesus' murder. So he's not around a whole lot longer. He's uh, killed on the cross not too long after this. And, uh, and this is what Jesus says. Let me read this to you. So then Jesus says to his disciples, his friends that are there, <clears throat> whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for somebody to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? So there's some kind of deep wisdom that's in there. And I think we see Jesus like in the last days of his time with his friends. And he's just like throwing out this wisdom like, you got to get this. I need you to understand something really important. Whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. If you're holding on and grasping and trying to pull together a life for yourself, you're going to end up losing it in the end. And those who just let go, that let go of all of that, they're the ones that are going to find life. What good would it be for you to gain the whole world? All the things, when we say the whole world, like all the things that we think of as important, which is a lot to do with the, what other people think of us. Success and money and good jobs and we look good and we, you know, our, all our image, all that stuff that we're aware of and we're processing and we're always thinking about. To get that, imagine you got all of that stuff, Jesus says. What good is that? If in the process you lost yourself, if in the process you get there and you've got it all, but you don't even know who you are anymore, you've lived your life of, off of other people's expectations and what other people think maybe is the right choice for you or the right way to go or the right way to talk or the right way to look, and we're kind of living in that space, what good is that if you've lost yourself along the way, who you are? how God made you, the wisdom of living your life out of the beauty that God put inside of you. And this stuff, I, it just speaks to me as a deep truth that I think if we let ourselves 
process a little bit of how much we're aware, how much we fear, in fact, what other people think, that we begin to see something really extraordinary. That if we can let go, Jesus says, if we can let go of that stuff, what is life to us that we're trying to pull together on our own, if we could just let go of that, that might actually be when we find real life. When we begin, we begin to live out of this place of truth in who we are and how God has made us. So I think that we see Jesus communicating something here that, um, that is really critical and maybe we don't think of very often, that it is possible for us to simultaneously have it all and have nothing, to get it all and to lose ourselves along the way that Jesus sees that as a truth that is real for humans, and he wants us to understand that that is not the way he has for us. That is not the full life he has for us. There's something else that he intends for us, that in fact we need to begin to quit. We need to quit, quit fearing so much and making choices out of that fear of what other people might think of us in the way that we live our life. Uh, okay, so I have an activity for us, and I totally have no idea where the sheets of paper are. Wah, wah. Are they back there, Tony? You got them? Okay. Whew. I was afraid I left them on the printer. <laughs> then I would have had to make more stuff up standing up here. So, I have to. All right, yeah, if you guys would hand this out. So this activity, um, you can, we're going to spend a couple of minutes just reflecting here. But I also uh, would encourage you to just take this home with you. Uh, it's English on one side, Spanish on the other, uh, so you can pick the language that uh, is easiest for you to sort of process and get into your heart. Um, uh, I have one. I'm good. Uh, yeah, you can pass some pens around. Yeah. Oh, um. All right, so on this paper, at the top, I've just put the passage that I read, Jesus' words from Matthew 16. Uh, but the activity in uh, most of the page is the activity. Just encourage you to read uh, this, and essentially just um, kind of in that middle section, it overly uh, affects my sense of self-worth when these particular things happen. And kind of go down through the list, and I will just acknowledge to you right now, Wendy, I gave this to Wendy to look at and make sure everything was good. And she started reading. She was like, every one of these things applies. She was like checking each one. So if you check them all, that's okay. You're in a safe place with other people checking them all. So just spend some time and let yourself just be with these words and be honest um, with yourself. I'll give you a couple minutes to do this. So in this, um, I have this feeling, uh, even as I was kind of prepping and thinking about what we're going to talk about today, that this is not a, um, sometimes we get up here and we kind of give you some answers, <laughs> but sometimes we get up here and we just talk about what's real. And this is one of those things. There's no easy answer or easy solution to, um, when I say quit being afraid of what other people think, there's not a, just a magic way of doing that. Uh, and so I, I want you to recognize, I want you to, to know that we recognize that, that, that oftentimes, and I think through this series, a lot of what we're going to be doing is just being honest about who we are and things that we struggle with as humans, 
And understanding the first step really in this process is just kind of being aware of the ways in your life in which this truth uh, exists at work and family. And we all struggle with it more in different sorts of ways in different settings in our life. Uh, and so this paper, this is just really about allowing you some time to be honest about the ways in which you're really wrecked about what other people maybe think of you. And to, to then allow, invite God into that. What do I need to do with that? What, what does this mean? And just kind of sit in that place of awareness and trust that God is going to be present with you and guide you uh, uh, maybe out of that place or help you in some ways. So, so much of this stuff is tapping into this idea of where we get our approval and our value from. What makes Larry worth something? Is it because you guys like me or you think I'm wise or what? Is that what makes me worth something? Because I'm not always likable and I'm not always wise. If that's what it's about, then I'm eventually you're going to find out I'm a fraud. Where is my value? Where's your value coming from? And um, the heart of what we believe as a church is that, that Jesus demonstrated this very in a very tangible way for us in the life that he lived but also his willingness to sacrifice his life in order to restore us to remind us God never stopped loving you God has never from the moment he created you from the moment he brought humanity into existence he's not stopped loving us and thinking we're valuable and worth something that Emma didn't have to play chess for me as a dad to love her I loved her anyways. I didn't love her more because she played chess and less after I found out she didn't want to play and quit. I loved her regard. It had nothing to do with that behavior, that choice, or that action. That that's the way God is with us. He loves us deeply despite the things that we choose, the way we roll through our life. Obviously, he's looking at us and saying, that's maybe not a healthy way. Or here's a better way. Or here's a way to love better. Or to be loved by the people around you better. That, that he's very well aware of that. But he isn't changing how he feels about us based on those things. And so we have our reliance and our confidence in the love that God has for us, the deep, abiding, true, never-ending, unconditional, not with strings attached love that God has for us. And that is what Jesus demonstrated in his life and the way he lived and loved and also the way he sacrificed. He died on a cross so that we could see it in action, love, even I, Jesus saying, God saying, I would rather die than condemn you. I would rather die than you be separated from me. That's how much he loves us. So uh, and during this next song, you can go back to the table and Jesus in his few last uh, moments with his friends asked them not to forget. He said, take some bread and some juice or some wine and remember my body that's broken, my blood that's shed. Remember this sacrifice I'm making. And so we continue to do that today, 2,000 years later, gather around a little table, take some bread, dip it in the juice and just remember what he did to demonstrate that he's never stopped loving you. So let me pray for us, and then during this song, we can go back. Jesus, this, um, ugh, this stuff is so deeply in us, being um, consciously and subconsciously um, shaped and molded by the, the way people think about, what people think about us. And we live with this sort of fear of, if I make this choice or that choice, or I do this or that, that what are, what are people going to think of me? And I pray that you would help us to see that, the way in which that's present in our hearts and our minds, that you would begin to set us free from the ways we make unhealthy decisions based on those fears. Uh, and I thank you, Jesus, for the life you live, for the way you refused to give in to what other people thought, and you loved people that the world considered unlovable. 
you've demonstrated by the way you interacted and, and shared meals and time and drink, just the fun that you had and the joy that you had, the tears that you shed with people that were on the outside as a demonstration to us of how much you love us. And we thank you for that, for your sacrifice, for what you did and what you accomplished in your life. It's in your name, Jesus.